If, uh, if you find any uh, Nerf bullets um, anywhere in here, I uh, would love them to be returned to me. Um, we had a great Nerf gun war uh, with the middle schoolers on Friday. It was all good until I think I pulled my hammy. <laughs> so I was out after about 20 minutes. Uh, this morning I want to start with a, with a pop quiz. Uh, but before we get to that, um, I don't know if you've ever done a puzzle or enjoy putting a puzzle together or just get frustrated putting a puzzle together. Recently, um, my family, my Krista, my wife, I guess, <laughs> she has uh, just really enjoyed puzzles. And so she's got a bunch of puzzles and, and every once in a while we, we help out and uh, she got a really good deal. Craigslist got a bunch of puzzles, uh, I think eight or nine, um, but brought them home. And as you're going about, because they're secondhand, uh, you're not convinced all the pieces are there. And, uh, and that can be kind of unnerving. And, and so I just want you to know that this morning, uh, I come to you with, with a message, and um, I'm not sure all the pieces are here. <laughs> and so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask... Um, you to participate with me, because man, when uh, my kids are sometimes the best at finding that missing piece, right? Um, but today I'm just going to ask you to be participants, um, in a sense, in the message. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit, who's, who is uh, our, our help and our guide, to, to be with, with each one of you. And actually, uh, um, it's kind of comforting actually to, to know that He's already there working in you. And so today, I would just uh, look forward to kind of walking with you and putting some stuff together and believing that God will speak to you uh, maybe in a unique or creative way. Pop quiz. Um, What does John 10.10 say? That's right. I heard some whispers. Um, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It is a great scripture. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That is Jesus' heart for you today. That you would have life and have it to the full. What does, question number two, what does the following verse say? The verse right after John 10.10. That's okay. We got an honest cheater. I am I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I have come that they might have life and life to the full. I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. Is there any connection between living the life Uh, or living life to the full, and Jesus laying down his life for you. If we had time, it'd be fun just to get into little huddles and discuss that. Because I believe there is a connection. I really do believe there's a connection between the full life that Christ came to give us and him laying down his life. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 
It's 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus is saying, I came to give you a full life. I've made it possible for you to live life to the full by laying down my life. Another way to say it is because Jesus laid down his life, because he laid his life down, you can now know true love. He made it possible for you to believe that you are loved. He made it possible for you to experience his love in growing measure so that you could get to the place where you learn to live loved. Life to the full looks like a life full of God's love. It looks like someone who believes it and lives in light of it. Do you live loved? Do you live loved by God? Is there a difference between someone who lives loved as opposed to someone who is looking for love? Could you name a few of the differences? Is there a difference between someone who lives loved as opposed to someone who is looking for love? Would you agree there's a difference? See, we all want to be and we all need to be loved. It's humanity 101. But what if someone doesn't know what love really is? See, the Bible tells us again that this is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. See, we can't know love apart from Jesus laying down his life. Not true love, anyway. So our verse, John 10.10 10, I guess it's kind of our verse now. It says that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And so the thief comes to distort our idea of love. So instead of looking to Jesus and the cross to know his love, to believe it and experience it and to be filled with his love, we look to many other things that we believe will make us feel loved or feel fulfilled. Uh, to illustrate, I got two jugs of, one jug of water and one empty. The empty jug represents a person, and I believe it could be a Christian, someone who believes, or a non-Christian. This person is looking for something more than God's love offered to them. In order that they might feel fulfilled and satisfied and just good or better about themselves. They are searching They're searching for someone or something to make them feel like they matter, like they're okay, like they're important, valuable. Usually the thing that they're looking for helps increase their self-worth and cover their shame. And shame is that, that debilitating feeling that you're exposed and that there's something wrong with you, that you're not good enough or you're simply not enough. You've been weighed You've been measured and found wanting. And so to avoid those painful feelings and emotions, they they look to drink from other cups. And usually there's one in particular that, that has just the right mix, and they keep going back to it because it seems somehow to be able to soothe their ache. And so this is how they live. 
constantly looking to be filled, constantly looking to feel better about themselves so that they can avoid the pain inside. I don't know if you're following me, but if you can relate or identify with with living, looking for love, what is the name of the cup that you go to or the cups that you go to? There's many. I mean, it could be as simple as shopping. It could be reputation. It could be recognition. You, for some reason, you need recognition. Yes, God died and He loved me, but I don't feel good enough or I don't feel fulfilled or I don't even feel like I'm loved unless I get recognition or unless I have that position or that possession or sex. I just, somehow, I don't feel like I'm loved unless I'm having sex. Maybe it's money or power or influence. Right? It's only when I have these things that I feel like I'm worth it or important or good enough or loved. And so the drink soothes them for sure. Right? You know that. The drink does soothe them, but it never fulfills them. Because that job is, a, is reserved only for God's love. And so the other jug is full. And it represents a person who knows God loves them because Jesus laid down his life for them. And they believe and are convinced that Christ's death secures his love. They believe that they are loved and they are learning to live in light of that love. They are living loved, full, fulfilled. And so instead of grasping on empty, they are fulfilled. God's love is enough. It's enough and it satisfies them. Oh, they too know shame. That awful feeling of being weighed and measured by others and themselves and always coming up short. Not being good enough, but somehow they have realized that God's plan to deal with their pain and their shame is better than their own. And so they surrender to His love. And they look like this. And instead of grasping, they're able to pour their life out into others just as Jesus did for them. Instead of taking, they're able to give out of a, a full heart. There is a difference between someone who lives loved by God and someone who is looking for more than God's love in order to be fulfilled. And I guess I'm wondering if you notice the difference in you. Can you tell when you're living loved? And can you tell when you're looking for something more than God's love to try to fill you? The truth is, it can be incredibly subtle. Very hard to see, very hard to detect. At times you may be very aware of it, and other times not at all. 
So this morning, for the rest of our time, I just want to take a really, really quick look at the passion of the Christ and the cup that he was offered, and I want to see what we can learn from him in the hopes that maybe we would be able to move a little bit closer to believing that his love actually is fulfilling, actually is satisfying, actually is enough. As is mentioned, today is Palm Sunday. It's a week before the Passion of the Christ. Here's another, I would love to get you in huddles and ask you this question. When you think of passion, what images come to mind? We're talking about the Passion of the Christ. When you think of passion, what are the images that come to mind? Now, if you're like me, you may scratch your head and wonder, like, why is all this Christ's suffering called the passion? See, my idea of passion is very different. My idea of passion is someone doing something that they love or enjoy, something that they do that they find fulfilling. For me, it's sports, right? The passion of players or fans or the picture of two lovers Or somebody at work who just finds their work fulfilling. Or somebody who's out of a friend who just finds it so fulfilling uh, to hike and to do extreme stuff. But my idea of passion does not include watching a man being beaten, publicly disgraced and nailed to a cross. See, if I'm honest, my 21st century mind has had a very difficult time connecting passion with Christ and his suffering. And of course, it has to do a lot with the word and what it means now as opposed to what it meant before the 12th century where it just referred to Christ and his sufferings and meant to suffer, to endure, and to hurt. Passion. But today's meaning is expanded to mean a strong desire, any powerful or compelling emotion or feeling such as love or hate. When you you consider both of those meanings and apply them to my idea, it actually makes a lot of sense, right? Who suffers more than a passionate sports fan and a player when they suffer defeat? My guess is only a passionate lover. (laughs) See, in sports, there's such a huge emotional investment, such a strong desire that after all of that time and energy goes into preparing and working towards their goal, and then they fall short, it truly hurts. And depending on how big the game and disappointed is, um, that anguish can actually last a long time. Noah Gray is a Broncos fan. And a couple weeks ago, I just asked him, um, how did you feel um, leading up to uh, the 2014 Super Bowl when the Broncos and Seahawks were in? He was excited. And I said, how did you feel afterwards? And, And without even thinking, he said, I felt anguish. And it is so true. It's so true. With passion, there is anguish. And there's lovers. How many hearts have had to endure suffering because their own passions or their partner's passions took them outside the marriage? Or just the hurt lovers have to endure when their partner no longer considers it worth their time to invest emotionally. So it actually is beginning to make a lot of sense to me that passion is connected with Christ and his suffering. 
So the passion of Jesus Christ refers to his final hours, the last supper to his crucifixion. It includes the time in the garden where he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. It includes his betrayal from Judas and his arrest, being abandoned, being illegally tried at night in secret, mocked and spit on, beard ripped, beaten beyond recognition, stripped naked and nailed to the cross. It's his passion, his suffering that he endured. Here's what I want you to see this morning about his passion. Three things. One is that he fully knew what he was about to endure. Number two, that he was honest with the father about the cup that his father gave him. Number three, that he willingly surrendered and laid down his life. Jesus knew, fully knew what was coming. He was honest about it. And he willingly laid down his life. Now, when it comes to the passion of Jesus, there is so much evidence, so many scriptures that clearly shows that he was fully aware of the suffering that he was about to endure. But to show you a few, we, we, uh, and to, to convince you, um, we'll read a few. So after riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, he was with the crowd. And he said, now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came. Later that week, he ends up at the Last Supper with his disciples. And John records it like this. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. After supper, where did he go? To the garden. And when he was in the garden, he tells his disciples, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. He continues, or John continues, Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass by him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And then finally, um, I think this is so interesting. When Jesus is betrayed and arrested in the garden, John records this. He says, now Judas, Judas who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding the detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches. They were carrying lanterns. It's nighttime. They were carrying weapons. And then it says, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he. And Judas the traitor was standing right there with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. That's powerful stuff. These are a few scriptures that show that Jesus was fully aware. Jesus was fully aware of the suffering he was about to endure. Number two, he was honest. He was honest about the cup that the Father offered him. 
In the garden, he came face to face with the cup that his father offered him. It was the cup of God's wrath poured out. And Jesus, in taking it, became our substitute, becoming sin and being punished in our place. I'm going to read this account again. Out of Mark. Going a little further. This is back in the garden. Picture him. Going a little further, he falls to the ground and he prays. If possible, that the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Being honest about the cup is no small point this morning. This is a big deal. Jesus was honest about the cup, and he admitted it. He, he, he was honest. He said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Can you find me another way? Your God, nothing's impossible for you. If it's possible, take it from me. Make it go away. I want you to relieve me from this pain, from this suffering. He was so distressed that he sweat blood. He prayed for an hour, three times going back, saying the same things, pouring out his heart, being honest about how he felt. And it was only after he had done all of that, honestly pouring it out, admitting where he was at, that he gave up the fight, that he accepted and surrendered to the Father's will and willingly went to the cross. And he willingly went to the cross. And how do we know that he willingly went to the cross? Well, Scripture says it. But he went there willingly to show us what love really is. Two things just to note quickly about willingness, his willingness. Uh, In the previous verse we read about Judas leading the crowd to Jesus, it says that after Jesus answered, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Flat on their back. So scripture makes it clear that Jesus was not going by force. Jesus was not going to go by force. He was going to go because he is the good shepherd. And he is willingly laying down his life for us. And then at the cross, just before the soldiers nailed Jesus and raised it up, they offered him wine with gal. It was something the soldiers offered criminals to sedate them. It would dull their senses and it It would would make it so they wouldn't put up much of a fight. You you can just imagine the struggle that might ensue just before someone's nailed to the cross. right? So to make it easier, they offer them this and it sedates people. But Jesus refused. He refused that cup. He refused to be sedated. He refused to be drugged. He refused to limit his awareness of all he was about to endure or was. He went willingly. So, Jesus was fully aware of his suffering. And he wanted to avoid it. He was was aware and he wanted to avoid it. But he was honest about wanting to avoid the cup that was offered to him. And in so doing, I believe he allowed God's spirit access to help him find the strength to willingly surrender. 
What, what, what can we do with this? Such a good question. What can we do with this? Jesus was aware of his suffering, but he didn't avoid it. Jesus suffered and didn't avoid it because he wanted you to know his love. He wanted you to believe that you're loved, to experience his love, and to learn to live loved, fulfilled. He drank the cup the Father gave him, but he refused the cup to dull his senses. Aren't we often the opposite? We refuse to drink of his love, and we're so quickly to go over here and to drink something that will soothe us or relieve us or give us pleasure. I think it, yeah, it's C.S. Lewis that, that says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are often half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Are you far too easily pleased? Are you far too easily pleased? Most of my life, I have been. Then I started getting really honest about it. If you want to live life to the full, full of love, You can't be going over here whenever you want to to take a drink and minimize or soothe the pain. Jesus refused to take anything to dull the pain. We constantly go here. Why? To soothe our pain. If you want to know God's love, you have to connect with your pain, just like Jesus did. See, He wants you to be fully aware of of the pain and the suffering you are wanting to try to avoid. I'm going to say that again. It's so important that Jesus wants you to be fully aware of the pain and the suffering that you're trying to avoid. And he wants you to be fully aware of how you are going about it. Looking for that missing piece? (laughs) The number one reason 
why people don't connect with their pain and express it to God and then just wait on God. See, that's the idea. You, you need to connect with your pain. You need to express it to God and wait on God. The number one reason why people don't and can't wait on God is because of shame. It hurts too much to feel like I'm worthless or I'm not good enough or I'm not valuable or I don't matter. That hurts. That reality hurts. And God wants you, like Jesus, to, to be honest about it. And He wants you to be honest about the cup. If you want to be filled with His love and know His love, you just got to get honest. Truth is, um, I thought it was interesting that phrase that Jesus on the cross, the very first thing he said on the cross was, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. There's a lot of us, me included for a long time, and even still sometimes, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I'm running there. I'm not even connected to pain. I don't even feel pain. But what Jesus wants you to do is get honest. Honest with your pain. God, I don't feel good enough. Or, God, I don't feel anything. I just feel nothing. Just be honest about where you're really at. And then honest about the cups that you go to. God, I love going to these cups. I love it. I love it more than you. My life pattern proves that I love this more than I love you. I want this more than I want you. I want it, and I'm not ready to give it up. And get honest with him about the cup. And, and I would say, man, if you can't identify a cup, be honest about that. God, I don't know. Just start getting honest, and as you get honest with him, something will happen. Because you'll begin to confess that I love this. But then you'll start confessing, I love this and I keep going back and I can't see my life uh, living without it. But it's not fulfilling. I confess it's not fulfilling. I confess it feels good, but it's not fulfilling. I confess it's not really what I want. You know what, I think I really do want you more than this, but now I'm stuck. I don't feel like I can get free. And you start pouring your heart out to Him. And you get real honest with what you're doing and where you're at. And that you want Him or you don't want Him. And that you want Him to help you want Him. And it was, it was at the time where, where Jesus was pouring it out. And finally admitted. And, 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 maybe, and, and here, here's the beautiful thing. Again, my favorite word in the dictionary is admit. And it means to grant permission or entrance for somebody. Like a movie ticket. Admit one. Without it, you can't come in. A lot of you guys are struggling on your own. You're going to things. Maybe you don't even know what you're doing. The idea of being honest is just begin to admit it. I admit that I don't want to live without these. I admit it, God. I admit it. 
And guess what? As soon as you admit it and you get honest with him, that gives him permission to gain entrance right to where you are. Right in your mess. And then, all of a sudden, he will start changing your heart. Changing your heart. This doesn't happen overnight. This happens over a lifetime. But the idea, he came to give you life to the full. And the thief, his distorted stuff. But I've been praying, and and I believe that through this Easter season, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, that God has more for you. Oh, not just on Good Friday and Good Sunday. As you go home and you read the Bible, look in your Bible for a piece of the puzzle that God wants to speak. Be on the lookout for it. He wants you to live full, full of His life, full of His love. But you've got to resist that, reject that, and eventually you will know, you will know that he is, he is in love with you. I'm going to invite the worship team up.